Good morning, men. Since nobody else said they would preach, I guess I'll do it again today. Oddly enough, when they ask you to be speaker, they expect you to speak. So, how do I? Yeah. Oh, yeah, just a little bit. Okay. Yeah. I uh, was having some roadblocks. I was hitting some walls with my head concerning this message, which isn't anything new, but it was, just wasn't making headway. And sometimes when that happens, i got to rethink things. And sometimes frequenting another translation helps. So for this last message, I just threw all my OCD off and I'm preaching out of the English Standard Version as opposed to what I have been preaching on. And as I was looking this over one last time last night, and making a few changes, I realized I just kind of blew everything I've been preaching up. Like I turned it on its head. Uh, I'm not saying I'm negating everything I've said, but it it's just kind of, I don't know, revisionist over the way I've been unpacking this passage. I think you'll see what I mean. But for one last time in our gathering, I do invite you to stand if you're able, and let's read Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14, one more time together in honor of hearing the word of the Lord. We read, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and He brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and He led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, There was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and the skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord, When I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land and then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. Father, our lives are about you. This time has been about you. Make our homes, our communities about you. Make our dry bones about you. 
Father, we read in Isaiah 43 what we were made for, that is to glorify You. We live in a culture that says it's about us. All the decisions we make, many things we do, from the coffee we decide to drink, to the teams we root for, to how we have our home set up, everything is yelling at us saying it's about You. Change your minds and hearts to be about You because that's where we will truly thrive. That's where we will truly live. And paradoxically, whenever we focus on you, those valleys in our lives, even though we haven't been focusing on fixing it, you do it when we're about you and your work. Say what it is you desire. Have your way among our hearts and lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you may have known that in your outlines there's a bunch of lines. That's because I didn't even have the sermon fully done when I printed those off on Thursday. So I do have some outline suggestions. By no means, you may, you, maybe you can think of quicker ways to write down what I'm saying, or maybe you haven't been using outlines, that's fine. But we did a lot of what I like to call on paper this weekend, right? The reality waits to be seen. God's willing, but are you willing? See, we did our theorizing, we did our praying, our this valley of dry bones needs life, meditating, but it hasn't happened yet really, has it? Because if it's a sin that's been festering, a nasty pile of dry bones in your house that's been rotting and the Lord says He can cause it to rise and leave, see, that reality needs time to test it, doesn't it? And if it's an unchaste dream that you're now more than ever certain that God's placed on your life but you abandon, well, let's just see if you start making phone calls and plans when you get home, right? Similarly, let's not forget that what we've been unpacking over the last three times together has been a vision of Ezekiel's. A vision, which means it was imagined but not accomplished while he was imagining it. And I know we've spent our whole weekend together, three times together, unpacking the Valley of Dry Bones. Oh, I have a Valley of Dry Bones that needs raising and and all this introspection stuff. But I feel like, lest we take all of this in a way that we shouldn't, God hits us with two truths in this passage. The first truth is this. It's not about you. That's one verse. And then to make sure we get it, the whole other three verses tells us, It's about God. So after all of this, do you have a valley of dry bones and prophesy to the valley? After all of that stuff, look at what we read again in verse 11. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. I think I should have had that up there. Yeah. These bones are are not our sins, right? Everything I said, I think, still applies. God doesn't want us living with unrepentant sins. He does want us to obey Him to each and everything He calls us to. But at the end of the day, I believe what gives us life, Christians, is doing what God's called us to do. And what are the two greatest commandments? Jesus says, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest, or the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I'm not a he, uh, Greek scholar in this instance, but nowhere in there do I hear God framing the Christian life as self-help. Yes, the Christian life is repenting and growing in grace, but here at the end of this vision, God says to Ezekiel, I called you out here one-on-one time with me to see this. These bones are Israel. That's not Ezekiel individually. That's Ezekiel's people, the chosen people of God. What if, what if this, besides her valleys of dry bones, what if God's want, what if God wants you and me, even wherever we're at in the middle of our junk, our sins, our own problems, what if God's plan is this? His relationship with you predominantly isn't about you. It's about other people and the urgency it is that they are lost. You say, Christian, in your, in your place of salvation, in your place of blessed assurance, but I got problems, I'm sinning so much. And God is saying, your neighbor has problems, he needs me. He needs salvation, period. And I don't know, maybe God's not this smart, but what if he's resourceful enough, smart enough, that as you fulfill your work for him, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it as well. Ezekiel, prophet of the Lord, filled with His Holy Spirit, speaking on behalf of God, given this vision to prophesy, and then when he prophesies, and dead bones become bodies, and bodies become living beings, as Ezekiel is prophesying, and then the Lord hits him about this vision. This isn't about you. It's about Israel, and their bones are dried up, and their hope is lost. Here's my prayer for us men as we return home. We go home knowing it's not about us. I think it's easy to put some people in a conference center, a camp, and pour into souls and be all introspective and say things like, we're cleaning you up this weekend and it's about you. But rather, the reality is this. We all got to work on ourselves, sure, but we got work to do for the kingdom. That's more important. Because I'm a sinner and I like controversy, I've been watching this horrible, scary, no good, rotten, detestable, super controversial TV show. It's called The Chosen. And uh, it's about Jesus and His disciples. It's my guilty pleasure. Confession time, I, I'm a chosen watcher. Um, so far, I haven't deserted my religion, nor have I compromised my values, but you can pray for me. I'm being a little facetious, because maybe uh, all of you are not aware, but there is some controversy about this show. And maybe you're you're skeptical, and maybe you really will be praying for me, and you're like, everything he just said this weekend is garbage. He watches that show. Anyways, but one of the things the show captures real well and has scriptural support for is this fact. Jesus called sinners to do work with him. He didn't call disciples, lock them into some nice cabins, feed them until they're fat, and say, Peter, you got some arrogance about you, let's unpack that. John, James, you two are very angry, very tempestuous. Let's take a retreat and work through your anger. No, he's working on them while they're working for him, right? Luke 9, for instance, that just cracks me up every time I read it. They're on their way through Samaria. 
No doubt teaching there, preaching here and there, and healing there, doing ministry. And Jesus and his disciples, and likely even more followers with them, are not allowed into a Samaritan village for religious reasons. They're, they're inhospitable to him. And then James and John... See, it's like if Jesus is the pastor, and then Peter, James, and John are the associate pastors in my mind, right? Or the elders. And James and John are like, Jesus, that stupid Samaritan village didn't allow us in. Can we do Sodom and Gomorrah 2.0 on him? Can we fry him? Right? Like these are the guys, God in the flesh, Savior of the universe, is calling to lead His church. And He still calls knuckleheads, does He not? He's calling me. I'm a knucklehead. You're all perfect. This sermon's just for me right now. It's not about you. It's about God. See, God's heart is for His glory and the good of others, which means the best way that we can reflect Him is to be about His glory and about love for others. Ezekiel's been called out to the valley of dry bones. He's prophesied the Word of God to them. He's prophesied to the Spirit in them. And then he's told, this valley symbolizes your sin. No. This valley symbolizes the dreams I've called you to chase for my glory. No. This valley is about Israel, lost hopeless people. And you didn't prophesy your words, Ezekiel, but my word. You didn't prophesy your spirit to enter them, but my spirit. It's about God. Verse 12, Therefore, prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. The answer for a hopeless people is God. And I'm one of those weird simpletons. That's the only answer for a hopeless people. God said they're hopeless and they're saying they'll be cut off. So tell them, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel. We've theorized this week. We've unpacked stuff personally. But God's answer for your life, God's answer for saving people will not be the redeemed you. It will be the Redeemer. It's a focus change. It's not about who He is making me to be more than it's about who is He. You hear that? He's the one who saves. He'll save you. He's going to save others. He'll continue to save you, to mature you, to sanctify you. to And He'll do all that as you give your life and your work and your service to Him for His kingdom and His purposes. See, we see as Jesus came to earth, he, he says things that sound very familiar to Ezekiel. He says, truly, truly, I, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. But then Jesus went to the, to the cross. He accomplished their resurrection by His resurrection. But then He left the mission to His disciples, which... God should have counseled me. That's a bad move. <laughs> right? No, He shouldn't have counseled me. But He says to Ezekiel here that He, Ezekiel still has to prophesy what God is saying and doing. Therefore prophesy and say to them. Right? God's still calling knuckleheads on mission. Maybe that should be the man camp next week. Knuckleheads. He's calling you, He's calling me with all of our junk. I know you don't have any junk, but He's called me to pastor and preach. 
and humiliate myself in the process as I deal with what I, do, with what I deal with? Because it's not about me. It's why he called Abraham, who likes to lie about his wife and slept with Hagar, thinking he's doing what God called him to do. Just a little newsflash, if you ever feel like, God, you're calling me to commit adultery. You got the wrong number, hang up and try again. It's why he called Moses, who blabbers on about his lack of qualifications. It's why he names Israel after a conniving, favorite-playing blockhead named Jacob. It's why Christ calls angry sons of thunder and arrogant Peters and ex-persecuting Pauls. He calls me too. He calls you too. Because it's about Him. And you say, and I say, but I got my own dry bones to deal with. What are you doing calling me to prophesy to lost, cut-off dry bones? I know it's about them, but what about me and my stuff? How is this going to work? I can't do it. And you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and raise you from your graves, oh, my people. It's not about you, it's about Him, that's why. I'm going to let you in on a God story in the process. And I hesitated sharing this because it's a little close to home. And it's a work in progress. And again, I'm not a Pentecostal, I keep saying that. Nothing I want to commit to yet. But I told you Friday night that as I prayed in the car on Sunday in January 2021, while my wife Christy was... Undergoing a biopsy, I heard a name. And then we lost the baby before the month was, was done. And I held on to that name, much like I held on to the hope that though we miscarried very early on, perhaps that name would be used someday. And because of Christie's treatment plan, the drug she takes prohibits us from conceiving. And if you uh, ever experience cancer, I don't know, but if they ever give you, give you a date about something, just throw it out the window. It means nothing. Uh, they told us maybe in about two years you could go off the medicine and you can try again. And uh, it's been over two years now. And, uh, and going off those drugs would, bear in mind, be a risk because these drugs do help negate the recurrence of cancer. Although we were told one of the drugs has been known to cause cancer, which is very comforting. And... Uh, but we did take a test. It wasn't a test we didn't have to take, but we tested the tumor she had, and it was a 32% chance of recurrence, and that was only if we didn't treat anything. 32 isn't low enough, but it's still low. And uh, so she's undergone chemo, two years of medicine. And again, as of this past January, it's been two years. And so I asked Christy a while ago, what are your thoughts about trying again? Because that name that I heard in the car is still loud and clear in my mind. She knew that story a little bit, but I didn't share too much about it whenever it happened or since because it's kind of a sensitive story. But as we go into this conversation, she tells me her story that I never heard. You know, most Sunday mornings, since I'm not at all busy, our schedule seems to be I take the two boys with me to church about 45 minutes before things officially begin, and she stays back, showers, gets ready, and comes over when it starts. And So she told me a few weeks ago, that sometime in the past six to eight months, one Sunday morning as she got ready for church, she tells me, I felt a name wash over me. And the instant thought, that sounds like a good name for a child. And then she says, and then I felt goosebumps. And then, you know, she's, you know, I don't say goosebumps as if that's the authenticating mark of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I must be saved. <laughs> but she says, it was that foreign feeling of the thing. It's just kind of like that, did that just really happen? It wasn't the name that I had. It was still a girl's name. Now, I don't know what to think. Twins? 
Maybe my name should be kept for the child we lost. I don't know, but... However, she and I began to, to realize we're thinking on the same page. Now hold that idea of page. Literally this past Thursday, four days ago, she had to go in for her monthly shot uh, for cancer treatment. She brought up the subject of going off medicine. Her normal oncologist wasn't in. The nurse there said, well, why don't we just give you the shot for today and we'll schedule a meeting with the oncologist. And so she texts me. She's, we're a little sad about the idea, but nevertheless, there it is. And, and she's already kind of sad and anxious on days like this, having to go for this medicine. It's just like, I thought I'm over with cancer, but i got to go here and realize I'm still dealing with this. And so, but the rest of the day, she's texting me. She seems kind of bubbly. She seems fine. And when she gets home, she doesn't even seem too saddened by it. And we homeschool our boys, and, and she's been reading up a lot of homeschool-type books. There's this one book from a, a homeschool teacher, but also a Catholic mother of many kids. And she says something to me along the lines of, I read this chapter right after my appointment while I was having lunch, and it just felt like God orchestrated me to read it right then and there. It was cool. It was just about, and then she kind of stopped, and she says, you just need to read it. And so she's asked me to read other stuff here and there that I haven't been the best in picking up the book and reading. But when she kind of gives a preview like that, I said, well, maybe I should read it. And so uh hadn't finished my message yet. So the very first lines of the chapter started off familiar. The mom in the book was talking about a child that she came to realize was somewhat challenging. And Christy and I, our firstborn boy, is challenging, not as challenging as the child in the book. Nevertheless, the book was convicting me to continue to love and be grateful for this challenge and stop being so exasperated. But then, this mom in the book went on to say that this child was first received as a gift because, because it was a child that she had after her cancer. After she and her husband had been warned that children may or may not happen. Christy said she needed to read that after her appointment. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and rise you from your graves, O my people. It's not about you or me, it's about God. And God's heart is for the hopeless. God's heart is for the dead, for the people whose plans are none because they're too broken in such dire straits that making plans are as about as sensible as an exiled, broken people without their homes, torched to the ground, hoping for salvation. God's that sort of redeemer. And you or I may have our own stuff, but I don't know you. I don't know about you. I felt completely inadequate coming out here to preach to you men this week. I'll tell this story from time to time to Woodland Friends, so they, they already know. But where, where I grew up and where I practiced my preaching muscles, and you didn't want to be there for that, um, was a Nazarene church about 30 minutes away from Woodland Friends. And I felt called into ministry by high school, and so I began preaching here and there as a high school senior, and a few years after there at the Nazarene Church. <clears throat> and um, on the pulpit there, we, and the, back then it was an old-fashioned pulpit, kind of wooden, um, I noticed my mentor had posted a note, apparently to himself, for him to see every Sunday, and it said, have you earned the right to be up here this Sunday? And I don't know how he answered it, but my answer was and always is no. I have not earned the right to be up here this Sunday. 
but Jesus has. I haven't earned the right to be here this weekend, but Jesus has. And it is my prayer that you will know the Lord when He opens your graves and raises you from your graves because you belong to Him. And when we find out we belong to Him, we find out that it's not about us, it's about who He is and who He's saving. And He's got the audacity to call you on mission and me. He ascended and after He rose from the dead, He said to the arrogant Peter and to the thunderstorming angry John and James to carry on that mission. It's about Him. It's not about you, it's about Him in you. That's the last point in our verse this morning. Verse 14, And and I will put My Spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, and then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. I love that last part, don't you? I have spoken, and I will do it. We know that He came as Jesus. He called the dead people out of our their graves. He died for our sins. He's done it. However, I wonder if that's a word for us today. See, I wonder if any of you have that feeling somewhere between tension, anxiety, and excitement, and then that sneaking suspicion of disappointment that, as as Roy said, that we hope you caught a fire this week. I wonder if you fear that that fire is going to go out when you go home. And I feel like this is God here saying, I don't know what your plans are, but I have plans. I have spoken and I will do it. It's because He's got His Spirit, and that Spirit is in you, Christian. you believe that today? And the Spirit bears fruit. Jesus says in John 6.63, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all, or it profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are Spirit and life. It sounds like Jesus doesn't put a lot of stock in my own manpower. Right? I'm the guy who does two and a half miles walk, but I sound like an asthmatic dying cat with a minor sprint. Any success we will have as Christians will come from Him because it's not about us. It's about Him. I want to be frank with you as I wind down. And and when pastors say things like in conclusion or as I wind down, it's the only time we're allowed to lie. But... (laughs) Some some time back, probably as I was preaching through the book of Mark, which I finished, I believe, in 2017 or maybe even earlier, but I was struck with this fact that sometimes as a pastor and even sometimes as Christians, we have a wacky idea, and that is we think we need to sell God and sell His mission, right? We all want to be Billy Graham's who because of the words he said attracted thousands to the proverbial altar. And so maybe maybe it's just me, but I think it's it's probably shared among many Christians that we want to be good salesmen. And I was struck particularly in places like Mark 8 or Luke 14 that Jesus was a lousy salesman for his own cause. A lousy salesman. Because he believed it was not about the people he was calling, but it was about himself and about God. Mark 8 says, In calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, So we have a crowd with his disciples. And the words he says next applies to both groups. All people. 
If anyone would come after me. If who? Anyone. Any single person. That's you. That's me. That's the unsaved person down the street. That's the churchgoer in the pew next over. We still have pews at Woodland Friends. If anyone would come after me. Here's where Jesus' sales pitching tanks. And what he says next. Let him deny himself. See, it's it's not about you. Ezekiel, you came out, you saw the valley of dry bones, you prophesied, they came back to life, but these bones weren't you. They were lost souls that I have commissioned you for. The mission is not to better yourself so much as to preach hope to those without hope. Yes, you'll be better in the process. But as for you, deny yourself. And take up the cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, Jesus, that's not very Christ-like. Oh, wait a minute. Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. Hard stuff. It gets harder in Luke 14. I dare you, double dog dare you to read that on your own time. Even commit that to memory. But the point is, is God's got a plan and He's got a mission. And my job is not to sell it to you. Because you know what? See, I've known about this plan for a while. I grew up Christian and I heard the watered down, escape hell, go to heaven, invite Jesus into your heart, and that's about it message. But when I heard this message, deny myself. It's not about me. Get on board with the mission to save the world. This weird paradox happened. In losing my life for His sake, I found it. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field in which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. I don't know what your plans are, but I have plans, God might be saying. And I have spoken and I will do it. If you started a fire this past week, I'm convinced that just as Ezekiel comes to the end of this vision and hears, it's not about you, it's about God. It's about hopeless people who need Him. And my task for you is to speak the words of spirit and life into them. And that similarly, if you or I did some unpacking of our own valleys, great. But now we're headed back to where the valleys of dry bones are all around us, hopeless people. And God is calling you to deny yourself and work for Him. I'm not selling you anything. God has spoken and He will do it. Amen? Let's pray. And I I do, I want to invite, if any of you want to feel like you need to come up here and we can pray for you, that's fine. And uh, I'd like to invite uh, Jeff and Roy to come up and help if some people do need to come up. And maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. This is your first time. Maybe you just need uh, some sanctification. Whatever the case may be, invite you to come up. And um, let's spend a few moments of silent prayer and give you time to think about that. If nobody comes up, God's wrath is not going to come down. Roy's not pulling his katana out, so don't worry about it. So let's just take some time of silent prayer. And if you feel like you want to come up, we do invite you to. And uh, 
Whenever I sense it's time, I'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we know that in Christ there is no condemnation. Father, if anybody felt like that they should have came up but were too scared or whatever, we pray that you that they would know that you are completely satisfied with them in Christ, that you love them. Father, we pray that uh, as we do go home that you would help us to believe. It's hard to believe. You call us to a lot of upside-down weird stuff sometimes. Really? I don't need to focus on my problems, just focus on what you're doing? You're going to take care of the rest? Yeah. Sometimes it's that simple. Father, help us to know that in you we're forgiven. In you there is power in the Holy Spirit. We have everything we need to accomplish the things you call us to do. Father, I hope us that you would disrupt our plans, that you would, whenever we're tempted to be introspective and to be locked up, the enemy would love it if we were stagnant and never witnessed and never helped. But I just pray that whenever we're tempted to look inside ourselves, to throw pity parties and to think that we're failures, that you would disrupt our plans and give us a needy person to minister to. Give us somebody else who immediately the Holy Spirit flips our lights on and goes, that person needs me, minister. And give us the obedience to do that. Help us to know that focusing on you and focusing on others is what you've called us to. Because that's your heart. We want to have your heart. You said we were made in your image. Help us to bear that image. Father, thank you for these men, each and every man. Again, I would love it if I could be a robotic God and flip all their lights on. But the choice is theirs. The choice is mine. Holy Spirit, I believe. Help my unbelief. We love you, Jesus, and we pray all this in your name. Amen.